Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And today we have another amazing guest. We have Sharif Jackson, the current DM, and you'll learn more and why I say that from Rivals of Waterdeep, which you can check out on the which you can check out on the official Twitch stream for DD. And with Sharif, we're gonna be talking all about how to make sure your players get the spotlight they need and want. And for this week on Patreon, if you are gold, dragon, or up you can check out a list of adventure hooks that are focused in on giving certain players with certain play styles, which we'll talk about in the episode to come, a moment to shine. So if you're one of those gold dragons are up, head on over and download that today. But before we head to the meat, we've got some iTunes reviews. And the first one comes from The Last Broken which is super ominous and I like it. And it's entitled, Great Job, Five Stars. I've been running games for over 20 years and this podcast helped me tremendously. Good ideas, good hosts, and good for my dull work day. Thank you for putting this together. Well, thank you, The Last Broken, for that awesome review. And I'm glad we can make your work day a little less dull. Yeah, and we we appreciate you uh, filling your work day with our voices. And we have another review from Sir... Canis, so I mean this guy's knighted, so we, we gotta pay this this guy respect. Wonderful sound scroll of reality creation. Alright, this is a phenomenal title. Five stars. An amazing artifact that allows you I gotta start this over with a a, a, a good narration voice. An amazing artifact that allows you to create a wonderful world of adventure for unsuspecting beings of all walks of life. This incredible item is the perfect resource for playing God, killing people, and lowering the egos of all the heroes at the tavern. Love, GM Canis. Oh, that was great. Thank you so much, GM Canis. That was phenomenal. And with that, Neil, you know what time it is. Let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. Well, for this segment of the meat today, we have a special guest. We are joined by Sharif Jackson, DM for the Rivals of Waterdeep actual play stream, host on Spawn on Me podcast, and creator of Gaming Looks Good YouTube series. Sharif, welcome to the show. So glad to have yes. you here. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to uh, talk some gaming with you. Yeah. So we'll jump right into our interview questions. And one of my favorite, because we, we're not sure what we'll get back every time we ask it, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself that you think the listeners would be interested in? Sure. So I DM for Rivals of Waterdeep, as you said, like before, we just recorded our 23rd episodes. So that's, you know, they're each about two hours. That's about over 40 hours of uh, nice. D&D actual play content. If you want to check that out, that's on YouTube and Twitch and also audio podcast, all that good stuff. And it is unique in that it is, you know, all people of color and people from different sexual orientations, different, different genders. Um, so we really do try to have that sort of aspect of diversity that, you know, that that like really helps build better, 
stories and provokes great interactions and, and uh, that kind of stuff. Born on Me podcast has been going on for a little longer. It's been, it's been going on for about five years. That's a video game-centered show. So we interview devs, and we have artists on, and we talk about news. And G- Game Looks Good is like my personal kind of like YouTube series um, where I take one game and just talk about it from the lenses of like race, gender, and like sexuality. Um, just like talk about how I feel like the game explores those things, and that's on my YouTube page. And I guess one other thing that I just thought about that would be relevant here as well is that i teach at the university of wisconsin whitewater this semester i'm teaching a class called video games and learning where we talk about you know how like video games reflect things in society so we talk about how to read games as a text and we talk about how games like reflect you know the the feminist movement the black lives matter movement and like that kind of stuff like and like how that's shown in games so i always get excited when i hear of people bringing all their passion for everything geeky, whether it's video games or role-playing, into a school setting. I kind of want to put the microscope under Rivals and your role in Rivals and make bring it a little bit more personal. You have just stepped into or moved behind the DM screen, as it were, for rivals, yeah. uh, can I ask, is this your first time dungeon mastering? Have you had dungeon mastering experience in the past? Like, what does that look like for you? And and what made you want to step into that role? This is this is my first time doing like a multi-step campaign. Like I've okay. I've done one shots. Um, you know, there's like a local bar here in in Milwaukee that hosts like a D and D nights, and I've definitely done some like a one shots of like a DMing there. But uh, yeah, this is my first like official like you know where we're doing twenty hour campaign and you know we're setting up plots and NPCs and all that stuff. What made me want to do it was because from playing D and D, I found out that this was kind of like the video game that I always wanted to play. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess I had never thought about it in that way. When I was younger, I would always you know I would take a game and then I would kind of write my own. I guess now you would call it a design document. I, I, I would like say, well, I really liked Mario Brothers 3, but I wish this happened. And, and like I'd kind of <laughs> redesign my own plot and like have choices and like all that kind of stuff. So when I first started seeing how a DM actually handles situations and the and, and the prep that they have to do, plus the sort of like on the spot improv, I was like, this is like what I feel like I was doing when I was a kid, even <laughs> though I didn't know that it had like a place, you know, in uh, tabletop. So when we made the um, the uh, decision with uh, my rivals to basically switch DMs every ten episodes, I was like, for sure, I definitely want to want to jump in on that. So um, I'm the third DM uh, for after you know se- seven more episodes, we'll have another DM with their own story. So yeah, I think that there's something so true about what you said with relating video games to to D&D and just role-playing games in general is we've seen such an evolution of choices that you can make in video games like it's the possibilities are just growing with what you can do in in video games but when you sit down at a table with role-playing the possibilities are just endless it's all left up to your imagination and the choices you make and I think there's something fantastic in that yeah that's awesome. One thing I've learned sort of just, you know, in the uh, three episodes that I've done so far is 
you know, I think the first one that I did, I pre, I wrote, I pre-wrote so <laughs> much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I, not saying I barely used it, but it was more about the mechanics and the structure and the NPCs that matter. So, like, now I'm focusing more on, like, an outline mm-hmm. and plot points that I kind of want to steer them towards, but I don't want to force them to them because, you know, I want the players to own the game and own their uh, decisions. And, like, I think I, I feel a lot better about that than, like, you know, spending hours and hours trying to write stuff that you know the players might be like hey we're not doing that (laughs) (laughs) yep okay that's awesome the next thing we have for you is the surprise question and i'm really excited i'm not sure how you're gonna feel about it but uh one of our (laughs) one of our patrons mind weave rpg which is also rorik one of our longtime listeners put this to you now if you were to write a surprise guest question for the show what would it be wow and surprise question and stuff. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> All right. My, my surprise question would be, um, if uh, you were to have any historical figure DM a game that you were in, who would it be? Oh man. And like that's and like, it could be a, so a, good alive or, 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 or dead. Yeah. I feel like we would, that's phenomenal. I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't take the opportunity, Mitch and I to answer the question that you've just posed. I feel like, <laughs> that in the essence of surprise questions that it would be we would be foolish to pass up on this opportunity all right neil well you brought it up so we have to have a sharif answer yes. as well so let's but we we should totally bring this question into another episode yes. too but all right neil you you brought that up so why don't you start us all right out? i'm ready i would do sun tzu why because with the art of war and everything like that i think it would be really interesting to see and interact with that I mean, because it would probably go in a very tactical fashion. But I think you're in, I would just be really enthralled by having a campaign run by someone whose mind, you're in, based on what we know historically, functions in that way. And I'd be terrified on the other side of that. <laughs> as long as it's an online game, we'd be fine. <laughs> oh, this is this is a, a hard question. There's so many historical figures that I think would be able to run a fantastic game, but you know what? I'm just going to go, I'm going to cheat a little and I'm going to say, I would like my DM to be the entire group of the Beatles and <laughs> for them to run a bard driven campaign <laughs> oh, nice. Well done. Uh, with many bard NPCs. I think that would be phenomenal. <laughs> that would be incredible. All right. That would be Sharif, incredible your sure. turn. What do you got for us? Uh, I think I would go with um, Roman Augustus, uh, <laughs> the first okay. first Roman emperor. Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts in like a in like a history, and I wouldn't just pick it just for sort of you know he was a great military leader, but also you know the Roman Empire consisted of so many different cultures and people that he, they all had to go in and basically convince you know that this was the thing to, to like do. So like <laughs> I could see some great setups and like npcs that are like people from all these different um cultures on like a western europe that like you have to talk to and either persuade or intimidate or you know all all those different roles and uh and uh, and uh, different checks that like i can see so kind of like a DD version of risk i guess yeah Um, yeah except it wouldn't be all like battle you know it would Um, would yeah a mixture of battle but also diplomacy as well that that sounds great for sure yeah that's awesome well 
Thank you, Rorik, for giving us that question, and thank you, Sharif, for answering. Well, I don't. I was just saying that question, <laughs> and then answering it as well. So, oh man, that was good. So, sure. we're gonna jump right into the topic. We're gonna talk about sharing the spotlight, which is definitely important when you have a streaming game that everyone is watching. But it's also, of course, important for your table. So, one of the things we wanted to start out with was talking about the size of the group and kind of how that is a big like a big factor in how you're going to need to start sharing that spotlight. So, Sharif, any thoughts on group size in relation to spotlight? Yeah, I mean, um so our group is 6 people, so it's 1 DM and uh, 5 uh, people. And I feel like, you know, our our shows are like 2 hours, and I feel like that is absolutely a great ratio sort of like that 1 DM to 5 people because you also have to remember that you want some fleshed out npcs as well so like i think that by by like that time you're you know in our typical thing we like might have like one or two major npcs not not including like you know enemies you got to battle and like that kind of stuff so if you think about a viewer trying to keep track of like you know six seven different people with with their own motivations their own secrets their own stuff i feel like if you start to get a little bit above that i think it becomes hard for a viewer to follow and like obviously i'm just talking about it from you know from like a content creator streamer Mm -hmm. um perspective i think if you're just playing on your like own honestly i think you can go a lot higher than that i went to dragon con in like atlanta and i was in a DD game that was like about it was like 10 people in one dm and and at first i was like wow this is going to be nuts but it actually worked really well you know, because it's like just like any group, like you don't have to have this deep relationship with that with every other person in the game. You know, like it's fine to like compartmentalize a bit and like I have like different sections or factions or I, I won't quite call them clicks, you know, but like kind of I think that with those larger groups, it makes it a little more realistic, really. You're going to be mm-hmm. down with like every single person you might not talk to other people in the group you like uh, you might kind of focus it on, on a small group of like three to four i guess that would be my things for size is like that one to five for like a for like a watching and i'd say you know a little bit more than that. i'd say eight nine ten for like you know if, if you're just just like a playing without worrying about an audience it obviously the more players you add to a group and not necessarily this is something that you can't, because that's what we're talking about today, that you can't do, but it, it does add a different level of challenge the more players that get added to a group with that whole making sure everybody is able to uh, have a good amount of time to role play. It adds time to battle, and these are all challenges that you need to keep in mind as your group size grows and you add more players, if you're sitting down and you're doing a one-on-one game, it's pretty easy, (laughs) (laughs) I would say, to make sure that, yeah, hopefully, uh, to make sure that that character that's being played by that player is getting the feeling of being in the spotlight. When you go up to a group of, of 10, I think individuals uh, as as people it becomes really important too as uh, a dungeon master to really be trying to keep an eye on things because it's a lot easier for a player who maybe isn't the most outspoken maybe is more new and doesn't uh, feel like they understand uh, whatever role-playing your game 
as much as maybe someone who's been playing it for years and years and years to kind of fade into the background and feel overshadowed by the rest of the group. All things that I think can be taken on and uh, can be fixed, but something that needs to be addressed and needs to uh, certainly be acknowledged. Yeah, one I want to go back. First off, if you've never been to Dragon Con and you can go to Dragon Con, you should go to Dragon Con. So we'll, th- yes. we'll throw that out there because I, I, w- I like was in Atlanta and I was like, oh, man, what's going on? And Dragon Con just happened to be going on that weekend. And it was the most magical thing ever. Yeah, uh, phenomenal. The other thing I was thinking is, Sharif, the way you were talking about it totally made me think of Lord of the Rings. And once you have a group that size, you do kind of end up with these these cliques and these smaller groups. Yeah. And so then that spotlight, you know, and because of the size of the group, kind of shines on a couple players maybe that have forged this connection that they don't have with the other, let's say, nine people. And so when the movie comes over and it's Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn, or when it's the yeah. Hobbits together, or, you know, and, and trying to have the spotlight interact interact that way is another way you could work with groups of larger sizes definitely i'm also really big on like puzzles and and, and if you've seen any of my episodes of rivals it's like very evident that i'm into riddles <laughs> and puzzles and like i had a nice like sort of roy g biv kind of puzzle for hmm. people and so i think that that is an advantage for bigger groups because obviously you have more brains mm-hmm. kind of like doing it and it also sets that possibility of having two different groups working on two different parts of a puzzle that might even be in two physically different places that sort of connect, you know? So I think that as like a puzzle oriented DM, I think that, you know, having that larger group that, that is one thing that I can't do in the current group is like, you know, I can't have something that's like too large or too intricate because I only have like, you know, only five other people there. And I think this is a great segue into what we want to talk about next, which is tips and tricks of how to, how to work with a, larger group and i i love this idea that you're bringing to the table of like riddles and puzzles because when i'm creating riddles and puzzles or looking up rid- riddles and puzzles for my D group sometimes i'll look at a a riddle and be like i don't want to use that that just seems <laughs> seems like really difficult i don't know if they're ever going to get there or a puzzle but if i had a group of 10 players I would want it to be quite the challenge right. because my fear would be pick a somewhat easy or normalish riddle and throw it out there to 10 people. And that's 10 people that have possibly heard of it before or are working together and might come up with that answer in two seconds, right. which sometimes happens anyway. But I think you can kind of raise the stakes a little bit, give them more of a challenge to have that entire group working together. Even if groups can't get it, you know, like that's more people that can sort of roll for insight or, you know, or like things like that where we're like as a DM, you have the opportunity to drop them some hints if they're if they're like really stuck, you know, because I definitely had to do that a few times. (laughs) I think another thing that's important is the scope of the game that you're playing, Uh, you know, because. Sharif, you're talking about 20 hours worth of content. In a lot of ways, you can know that if you have this two-hour session that focuses on a certain player more so than another, you know, and in your head, you can also kind of say, okay, next time maybe it'll be focused on this player instead. And you're knowing the scope, whereas, 
you know, at Dragon Con, I assume it was maybe like a four to six hour game. You know, and yeah, as four hours, yeah, yeah, as the DM running that, now you know I only have four hours with this group of people, and I need to be able to try and give each person the spotlight at some point because after this four hours is done, it's done. And so I think scope is a really, really important piece because I know for my players who I realize I don't think I've ever said this, my players don't listen, uh, turn the, turn the podcast (laughs) off. Uh, but I've kind of, sometimes I'll use the mechanic with, um, from the star Wars fantasy flight game where I basically have people roll to kind of see whose backstory is going to fold Uh, in. And so then like, and it's also a way to try and keep me more on my toes by not trying to plan it out too much, but trying to let that come to me. And so that's a, that's, that's another tip or trick that you could use is kind of fold in that fantasy flight background element Hmm. as well. I think that another thing that you can kind of think about as you're dealing with a larger group is, and I think this is important, for smaller groups too, but maybe even more so, is uh, establishing roles in a group. And when I say that, I I mean both as players and as PCs. For the player sense, you can have players that might lean one way or another to, they might want to help with certain aspects that might even make it easier for you to focus on the shared spotlight as a DM. I know when I play and I DM, I like to have one of my players in charge of turn initiative in mm-hmm. battle. And that's something that you can throw out and delegate to a, pl- a player and be like, hey, help me out with this. Depending on if a if a certain character isn't in a battle, you might say, hey, why don't you control this monster for me? Oh. Especially if you have numerous monsters in battle, yeah. it not only helps keep a player occupied, but it also with a large group is going to take a little bit of responsibility off of your shoulders, which can be very helpful. But then also with the PC side of things, they're establishing a role doesn't necessarily mean just in classes, but also is there a leader to this group with 10 people? If you have 10 people trying to be a leader in a group, it might be pretty difficult but that most people aren't going to have a group of 10 people wanting to be leaders. I know whenever <laughs> I play, I've always said, I'd much rather play Chewbacca in, as a character than play Luke Skywalker. <laughs> that's that's the role I'd enjoy. Give me that side character all Agreed. day, the one that everybody's going to fall in love with. And kind of figuring out maybe even above table, not in game, but before you even jump into a campaign or adventure, uh, what those roles are might really lead to a a better group game yeah and and we did talk about that before we got started with like rivals we sort of had had some meetings where we built our characters and it wasn't just about the stats it was also about like you know what do you feel like the role is that this player has what their backstory is how would they react in a you know in a fight or like how would they you know would they be the first Mm -hmm. one that's trying to compromise or would they be the first one trying to find an alternate solution or like, would they be a person to just run in like, you know, sword in hand, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree that talking about that stuff up front definitely helps, you know, um, and especially helps like the DM, because obviously I want to plan things that play to the strengths and the weaknesses of each character. So that was the big thing for me too, is, you know, we're talking about the spotlight, but what that is or what that can feel like for the, 
individual is really important because you could have a person who wants to walk in and swing a sword, do a bunch of damage. And for them, that's the spotlight that's important. But you could also have people that would hate that, that would hate that focus mm -hmm. on like the combat prowess where we go back into, you know, and even going back to the idea of Roman Augustus running the campaign and that political intrigue of talking to all these different cultures, that could be the spotlight that the person is desiring is that they want right. to be focused on when those moments come up because that that is the important element of the game to them. Whereas if you keep trying to shine a certain type of spotlight, I guess, would be the thing to watch out for and find exactly how how the person wants to showcase themselves and showcase their character is really important. Sharif, I, like, I know you've brought this up already, but like as you and the rest of the members of Rivals of Waterdeep talk about the game and the characters that you're going to be playing before you even sit down and start mm -hmm. playing. Like there is of course this sense of you're, you're doing it as entertainers. You're, you're making plans so that things flow better. But I think that listeners and DMS out there and players can really gain a lot of wisdom from this approach of an actual play and an entertainment uh, style game of thinking and talking about these things beforehand mm -hmm. because it definitely helps when you are sitting down and you're streaming, but it will also, I think, help a lot when you're sitting down at a home game and just seeing how the game progresses. I think it'll make things flow a lot more. People will know when's a great time for them to jump in. When's a great time for to be like, oh man, we've reached this new territory with this new culture of people. I know that Rob over here loves yes. to be all about diplomacy. Uh, and I might be that guy with the big hammer and all about <laughs> uh, attacking or that player who she might be all about uh, stealth and sneaking in and just be like, you know what? It's Rob's time. Let Rob uh, yeah. take this and, and we're going to stand in and maybe we'll look like, the strong muscle behind him. So we add a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, we make sure that people respect him, but let's have him take the floor now. Yeah. And, and like also adding sort of repercussions for each. So you can go this way, but if you do, it's likely that this will happen. If you go like this way, it's likely for like that to happen. I always compare it to one of my favorite video games of all time which is a deus ex uh which came out in like 1999 on the pc and you know it was like you know it was a you know sort of like a dystopian spy game most situations it was it was like you're like in like a room there's a guard you could fight there's a computer that you could hack or there's like a little vent that you could kind of like go through and like you could adjust your like play style to be like more like hacking, more like stealth, or more on the combat side. So in most of my encounters, I try to have at least two of those options available. Um, sometimes they're not obvious, but I try to like have them there so that different people can like uh, take that that um, spotlight. A, a good example was like my character um, Shaka, who's like a a, a tiefling warlock. Um, you know, he has a pretty low AC, but a really high charisma score, hmm. you know? So, like, I try to, like, use him for, like, deception, you know, um, and, like, and, and, like, a persuasion, 
you know, because in like a fight, you know, he's he's very squishy, you know, <laughs> you know, he he uh, stays in the back and like hurls sp- yep. spells, basically, you know. <laughs> um, so like, you know, you know, if I'm designing something for that kind of of like a, of, of like a character, yes, that character will have to be in combat at times, but combat isn't really where he shines. So I'm going to give hmm. other spots that if he wants to take that opportunity, then like he can, he, you know, like shine in that, uh, well, have a good probability to shine. I, was, I yeah. should say, cause it's definitely all about the dice. You can still yeah. crit fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, that's my favorite instance of you know, letting that player get the chance to have the spotlight because you could very easily have the chance to be the person that smashes someone immediately after. And that's one of my favorite role-playing moments is even in that failure, having that spotlight was there. And I think we, you know, we all walked away with a good experience because one player walked up. We had recently killed a Hydra and they walked up trying to convince the people that owned it, that it was fine. And you know, we can get you another one. And they basically failed their role so then as the character that would smash things i asked like where do you think you're going to get that like hydras are us <laughs> roll for initiative and then it was a pitched battle after that but and <laughs> it could have easily been that i decided i wanted to go smash and hmm. not given that person the opportunity to at least try they like i said they failed miserably but it was still, you know, in that spotlight moment that they were able to have, and then I had mine shortly thereafter. That <laughs> I think that this um, aspect that we're talking about to kind of bring it back to something you said, Neil. You brought up Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. You get the the groups inside of the group. I think that's something too that is important to note here. Is you can have this idea of shared spotlight going from like moments where the spotlight's on certain individual characters. Like we go from player one's character to player two to player three, depending on the situations. But I think there should also be this understanding with players and DM that it's very important too to have this idea of shared spotlight in the sense of the group having a spotlight shined upon them all at once And I think that having group goals and a focus on the campaign as a whole is really important the more players that you add. And I like this idea of, like, Neil, you brought about, like, well, I could have just gone and smashed rather than uh, that other character. And when you said that, all I could think of was of a team of two that would go and smash together like the bash brothers from uh <laughs> the <laughs> the mighty ducks or something or like going back to star wars if han is going somewhere chewbacca is going somewhere like having these groups inside the group that it's like it's not just this player's turn to step up but this is the situation where the these three they all go in together they all always conquer this certain situation together and you could have a couple people that are in charge of diplomacy and jumping in and being fulfilling those roles i also i love that all three of us has, have decided together to date ourselves so good job good job everyone <laughs> no one no one left out like okay lord of the rings and like i was in high school when i went to see him and yep. then games from 99 the mighty ducks from like the mid 90s as well <laughs> Great job, everyone. Shaped by the things yes. we love. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, let me let me ask you a, a guys another question based on large groups. Splitting the party, what are your thoughts? Uh, I am a fan of splitting the party. Um, I think it definitely makes it harder on the DM for sure. But I think you always have to be prepared for that because, as I said earlier, you never want to feel like you never want your party to feel like they're on the rails. Hmm. So, like, I try not to say no too much. Like, uh, like I'm lucky to have two members of our team that are like, you know, improv actors in the Chicago area. So they've taught us a lot of improv techniques that like they've used. And like one is like called yes. And where you don't, you try not to say no. Like if somebody says something, you add something to it and that goes for the DM as well. So if like, I've, you know, if I set up, you know, like they're, you know, you know, ours is set in like a water deep, most people have a map of like Waterdeep and they're, and they're familiar with where where at least like the major wards are. So like they might be like, hey, you go here and like I, I go here and I have to be ready for that. You know, I do think that when the party is bigger as a DM, I almost always want to encourage the party to split. That was my thought. Um, yeah. So I will be much more direct in like the saying like, um, hey, like you can get this from this tavern or you can get this from like here. But if you do it at the same time, you know, like uh, you'll you'll be back in time for this event. So to try to encourage them to uh, to uh, do it, because I think that if, if you split a, a larger party, that's what makes it easier for, as you said earlier, Neil, like the, those are folks that like I might be newer and uh, that kind of stuff. Right. It might give them the the opportunity to shine and get a uh, spotlight in a smaller subgroup um, of say three people as opposed to if they're one in a group of like ten people. Um, yeah. So I'm a fan of splitting the party. <laughs> I am a fan of splitting the party as well. Uh, it's something that I've needed to uh, hold back. I think as a DM <laughs> uh, sometimes because I I have players who aren't as much a fan. But I think that kind of speaks to once again you've got different personalities in every group and i think that it can it can certainly be done well but i would say the larger the group the more challenging it it becomes to do it well and maybe just the approach needs to be different cuz they're splitting the party in like a dungeon which can mm. very much lead to some a long process of being split but then there's like we all go back to the city we have a group that wants to go and they want to buy some new things. We have a group that wants to go and tell stories at the tavern. And those those splitting of the parties are going to happen. And when you have a, a large group, it may just be about a different approach. And just making them, rather than role-playing them completely and totally out, throwing it to the players and say, Alright, you go and you go to the tavern. Give me a little synopsis of... How does that go? Uh, how does that look? What stories do you tell? All right, you go and you go to the shop to buy some things, which we can do in our own time. Tell me how that goes and making it more of a, uh, rather than spending a whole lot of time in it where you have a bunch of players sitting there going, I'm waiting for my turn now, uh, making it a little bit more condensed in that sense. Yes, you should split the party. That's what I say as well. <laughs> but I think... The biggest key, though, is when you are in vastly different kind of pillars, I guess. You know, and if you look at the three pillars of Dungeons and Dragons, exploration, combat, 
and the third one that I can't remember. So welcome to that. Um, but the <laughs> the idea that if someone's in combat and someone's in the store, like you need to be very mindful of how that that spotlight is shifting back and forth and figuring out what that is or just start a combat in the store and then you're fine. But, you know, figuring out <laughs> how to kind of balance back and forth between a combat and a conversation. Yeah, I don't think I think when I've split the party, I, I can't think of many times where that has come up where there's like combat in one place and not in another. And like usually if it does come up, the combat will be small enough that we mm-hmm. would just focus on the combat like exclusively until it's done and then switch back to the other one. Yeah, like sw- I like agree with you. Yeah, if I had to switch back and forth like between like an initiative thing, that that that'll be challenging. <laughs> You've got six seconds of talking. Okay, that's it. Yeah. Next person. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there are solutions to these things. Yeah. So let's let's move into that. So first of all, I think it is important to establish that no matter who you are and your skill as a dungeon master, there is going to be, I think, a breaking point where you have too many people at the table. For somebody, that might be seven players. That might be 10 players. That might be 15 players. These numbers are starting to scare me as we go higher, but I think everybody is going to have their limit of what they can do effectively and the size of a group that they can effectively run. So when you reach that point (laughs) that you recognize this is not going well, I have too many players what are some solutions to having that problem <laughs> that that aren't yeah that aren't awkward <laughs> yeah it's like tough because 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 it's not a problem that i've personally faced and i haven't been in a game where that's happened yeah but i guess as i think about it if if i was the dm it would be tough because i feel like that would be those initial meetings should sort that out mm-hmm. but if it doesn't then Oh man, I mean, it would be hard for me to, I would have to roll with it. I mean, it would be like, I don't know if, if I would say, well, I'm going to kill off three people. Yeah. I mean, you could, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you could put them in a really challenging encounter that's several challenge levels above because you know that some of them. I suppose that's a solution, right? Is like killing three or four players and being like, see you guys. But I don't think that's a good solution. (laughs) I don't think any of us think it to, nobody wants to say, hey, you're less important than these guys, whether it is because you rolled worse characters. Or what, like, that's not, turning people away is not what we, I think, are advocating for. And so I think, I think, like you said, there needs to be some thought into, before this even becomes a problem, maybe you, you shouldn't just say, yes, 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 and have the, the group even get to that size. But... Once you have a whole bunch of people that want to play, we all want people to play. We all want people to enjoy the role playing experience. We don't want to turn people away. We want them all to be able to have a good time. Mm-hmm. So having that group get bigger, I think that I think that probably the simplest conclusion here is it might be time to split the groups. And you might have to take those reins and say, hey, to one of the players who is able to and willing to say hey i think it's time that we break up into two groups maybe we can still meet in the same place have a great time be able to interact with each other but i need somebody else to dm a second group now Hmm. or if you have infinite amounts of time which most of us don't as adults (laughs) 
DM one on Tuesday, DM one on Thursday. Like split it up and in, enjoy uh, a two group of D and D. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I would probably suggest as well. Like um, one show that like recently started called like uh, T- Tales from the Mist. Um, they have mm-hmm. a rotating cast. Yeah. Um, so, so like uh, they have like their main four people, and then they introduce new people that like rotate in and replace a, a person every couple weeks. So. Yeah, if I had it where it was too big, I would probably think about something where I have, you know, basically every other meeting is with that same party. So mm-hmm. like a meeting one is with one party one and then meeting two is, is is with a party two. And I essentially have them on their own independent adventures, but I would have to design it where things that one person does on like one side does affect what the other group C. So like they would yes. have that level of interaction, but like yeah, it would be basically two separate games with some interconnected parts. Yeah, and we we had an episode on that with Greg Tito where we talked about the the whole idea of having multiple groups in the same world and affecting each other and uh how you can do that whole experience. But that also like if you have a a larger group of friends that the idea of splitting is a little bit tough because it's like but i don't want to never play with this other person or these other people like having that group in a shared world like you were talking about sharif gives the opportunity for and with different schedules this might be super helpful for the groups to change and mix and for pcs to go over and hang out with the different groups but it definitely becomes a problem when you have so many players that people are feeling like i came to D tonight and I feel like I didn't get to do anything. There was just, it was too chaotic. And I think that's the thing you want to keep it from getting to that point. I think the other important thing, and I don't think we say this very often on the show because you know, the show is focused on giving DM advice. And a lot of times we say to know your players because you know, and that's one of the most mm-hmm. important things. But in this instance, I think it might be the first time I've ever said it this way, but you need to know yourself. Yeah, because you know, and we're talking about the scale of seven to ten to fifteen. The answer could be, and this is one hundred percent okay. Five, like five, might be too many for you and your personal style, and that's not. There is nothing wrong with that because that's how you run a game. The other thing is this: this size, or not the size, but the time that you play sessions. Because I, I know I have some friends developing a game. And some play for two hours because that's comfortable for playtesting. Some do four, some do six, but like that's where they, that's what they live. That's that's the best way that they can run the game. So we'll go around to kind of close it out and any final thoughts on sharing the spotlight that we feel like we didn't cover. Um, Sharif, we'll go ahead with you. Yeah, I guess my final thought is that the spotlight can mean different things for different people. Some people, I think, want the traditional, like, I'm the one that saves the day. And some people want to be like, I'm the person in the background that concocted this potion that helped the person win the day. So different people shine in different ways. Um, some of the, some of those early meetings, you can get a sense of that and let that, you know, enable that person to do what they feel is awesome. Don't force them into you know doing something that's against their well sometimes it's interesting to the plot to make them go against their <laughs> things but in general like you want them to leave the table with a feeling that they got to be awesome at something 
Yeah, and I'll I'll play off of that and steal for Mitch because that feels wonderful to me. But the idea, <laughs> I mean, I think Sharif and I reacted the exact same way, Mitch, when you started talking about having the spotlight be the players doing something to help the DM, running the mm-hmm. initiative or playing a monster or doing these other things because that spotlight does, there's a level of importance that is now placed on them paying attention and doing what you've asked of them and like you know and everyone is looking to them for okay who's next and they give that information so i think thinking outside of the box as well for players that aren't as comfortable with certain things will definitely help you spread that spotlight around yeah and i think the last thing that i'll say is just echoing some things that we were talking about already like sharif talked about once again with sitting down and kind of working things out before rivals even play as a game i think that communication as a player group with dm and players outside of actually sitting down and starting to role play can lead to just the gears turning so much smoother understanding where everybody's at what people love to do understanding what their characters are going to be looking for and participating in a group i think that's just something that is so important especially when you add more players and to just reiterate what neil said as a dm knowing your limitations and being okay with your limitations it's better to be able to say all right this is the group that i feel um comfortable leading and running than for you to always just feel things are not going great and and being able to communicate with your players on that and saying hey how'd tonight go did everybody feel did everybody have a good time and throwing out there and like hey listen if you, if anybody ever doesn't let me know you can do so here as a group or you can do so privately later uh but being open to sometimes some critique uh that can hopefully lead to a, a better session definitely but we have the most important question sharif where can people go to find you on the internet and all the awesome stuff you're doing sure uh so if you go to sharifjackson.com that's s h a r e e f jackson.com that's my personal website there's a my projects link on the top that'll have links to everything i do including rivals of waterdeep which streams on twitch.tv slash dnd sundays at noon central time um also spawn on me podcast which um, streams on thursday evenings at 10 p.m uh central time um and and it'll have links to uh, gaming looks good and to a few other projects that i do as well um and i'm also on all all social media under sharif jackson so twitter facebook instagram all that stuff awesome and we'll have links in the show notes as always but sharif thank you thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about sharing the spotlight thank you so much yeah this was super fun and now we have to split the party boom and with that let's head to the mailbag of holding but they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? So for this mailbag, the place where we look at ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener, we have a question from DM Bastion. And DM Bastion is saying they've been a DM for about three to four years now. They're starting their second campaign in their own homebrew world, and a question popped up into DM Bastion's head. Should one build a story 
for a world or a world for a story? What would the differences be with its advantages and disadvantages? So do you build this this story out? Do you come up with this idea of where you want your world to get from point A to B and then create the world that's reflected from the story that you've made and you want to be played out? Or do you do you jump in, do you start creating a world, and then after that world's created, you allow the story or create a story around that world? What are your thoughts, Neil? What are some advantages, some disadvantages, some some ways of going about this? Yeah, that's a that is a tough one. Um That's a it's a good deep question. Yeah, I feel like for me personally, I think I would always lean more towards a world for a story. Because the story and the interaction that your players are going to have should shape the world that they're existing in. I mean, if you had nothing, no baseline whatsoever, I think that would also be a really fun way to have the world, if you will, like load around them as they're going to the next area. So for me personally, it would definitely be a world for a story. But what what were you thinking? Dude, I'm totally going to have to disagree with you on this. Oh, and no. I don't think necessarily that... What you're saying is, I think this comes down to preference is what it comes down to. I think that most DMs out there do it what the way that you're probably saying is they they get excited about world building. That's something that we talk about on the show all the time. And they start building this world and then the story develops afterwards. I know that's exactly how I started DMing. I created a world and then I let the story come from the world. But I have to say, if I could do it all over again, I wish that I had started with a story and then created the world. Because I think the advantage that you have in that is I've found that from going world to story, I've kind of boxed myself in a little bit because there are certain elements of story that I would like to explore that now my world doesn't fit into, or I really have to make it stretch if I really want to explore those different types uh, of genres and story specifics. But if you're creating the story first and then allowing the world to fall into place afterwards, I think that's an advantage of that is kind of, you can know a little bit of where and how your world is going to develop from, from the story aspect. Awesome. Agree to disagree. No. Agree to di- not even not even disagree, but I think seeing that there are there are two different aspects. 100%. And there are like likes laid like is laid out in that in the second part of the question, there are advantages and disadvantages to both, right? Mm-hmm. And it's definitely going to I mean as as always, know your players, but and yeah. and you know and as we had recent, recently mentioned in other episodes, know yourself because that's another key component in figuring out how your players interact with the world, you know, because if it, if they want to be a group of explorers, you need the world before the story. Mm. And if they're just people really wanting to change the world and what it is and what it will be, then I would lean towards the story and the world itself is going to change around them. So there's definitely advantages and disadvantages depending on what your party wants to do. Absolutely. But thank you so much for that really good, really deep question, DM Bastion. We really, really appreciate it. So we want to thank Sharif again for joining us on the show to to look at sharing the spotlight, especially when we're talking about larger groups and when that becomes a little bit of a challenge and maybe even some would say a struggle. If you have ever run groups that are a large number of players and maybe have come up with some strategies, some tips to be shared with other GMs out there, please 
Neil, where can they reach us and write us about those? As always, you can just head over and email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you like this episode or any of the others we have and you see fit, head over to iTunes where you can give us a five-star review and we'll read it on air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you want to get updates about the show, that's the best place to go. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, the GM Showcase, and more. And that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And keep on dungeon mastering. So today, I I don't know why I keep thinking it's gonna be you, but it's not. So so today we're gonna shed. We're gonna no no. We're how gonna do I shed our skin. We're gonna shed uh, my beard. It's everywhere. <laughs> so today we're going to put the spotlight on the spotlight, and we're gonna basically be talking about how do I even want to say that? It was funny, and then like I completely <laughs> lost it. Uh, we're gonna put the put, spotlight. On the spotlight. <laughs> it sounds so stupid. That's why I like it. Official stream, or the, uh, how do you say that? Official Twitch stream. <laughs> I'm old. I just listen to my stories. <laughs> I Twitch a lot. That's the best way that they can run the game. Right. Also, did you throw that cat down a cliff? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> no. My wife's in the kitchen. Uh, anytime anybody's in the kitchen, and he thinks that uh, we're getting... <laughs> Mine does the same. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the Wilhelm scream from a cat. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Goodbye.